Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor, Andy Smith. City to city, state to state, across the state, across the globe. That's right, it is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. The conductor picking up passengers along the way. Interviews, sports-related news, and also outside the box. Unsports-related. That's right, it's a new time, it's a new season. Yours truly, Anthony Smith. A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. And that show is getting ready to get started. Let's get this train on the track. Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor, Anthony Smith, and we are ready to take you on a ride. That's right. It has been a while, but trust me, you are going to enjoy the ride. So, as you know, last week wrapped up the conference championship games. So now we know who's going to the Super Bowl. But as if history couldn't be made, history is definitely going to be made. And what better time for history to be made during Black History Month? That's right. You know all the narratives throughout the history of the NFL and the handling of the black quarterback or slash black athlete coming out of college. You may have been a quarterback in college, but when you got to the NFL, you played a different position. In most cases, maybe a running back, maybe a wide receiver, maybe a defensive back because black men, black young athletes at that time according to the status quo, if I may use that word, we're not qualified to lead a team. So why is such a big deal being made about history being made? Plain and simple. Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts to be first black quarterbacks to face off at the Super Bowl. I guess to a certain point, you could say it is the evolution of the quarterback position as it relates to the black man playing the position. So the matchup between Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles will be the first in Super Bowl history to feature two black starting quarterbacks as Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts bid to lead their teams to glory on the biggest stage of all. Black quarterbacks have featured and won the Super Bowl in the past, but never has there been two black quarterbacks starting for each side. Holmes, who became the third black quarterback to win the Super Bowl in 2020, is aiming to become the first black quarterback in NFL history to win multiple Super Bowls. 
while Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts could become the fourth black quarterback to win the Lombardi Trophy. Doug Williams was the first black quarterback to start and win the Super Bowl, leading the then-Washington Redskins to victory in 1988. It was followed by Russell Wilson for the Seattle Seahawks in 2014 and Mahomes in 2020, while others have started and lost the big game. Mahomes powered through an ankle injury to inspire his team to a 23-20 victory in the AFC Championship against the Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday. Clearly struggling with the pain, the 27-year-old produced an inspired performance, throwing for 326 yards and two touchdowns. So that sets the stage for Super Bowl 57, Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, two black quarterbacks going head-to-head. Granted, in the grand scheme of things, it is Kansas City Chiefs against the Philadelphia Eagles. However, what I am going to do, and since we are a day away from Black History Month, what I want to do is I want to look at the history of black quarterbacks in the NFL. Because without the history, there wouldn't be no Patrick Mahomes. There wouldn't be no Jalen Hurts. As a matter of fact, we can go back even farther. There wouldn't be no Russell Wilson. Let's go back farther than that. There wouldn't be no Doug Williams. Somebody had to pave the way. And we're going to get into who paved the way for these quarterbacks that I have mentioned. Because there's some interesting history. You'd be surprised at who was actually the first black quarterback. So we're going to get off into a little bit of history on this podcast. So I hope you got your seatbelt on. Because we're going to take you on a ride. Matter of fact, what we're going to look at is the what's called 101 year history of black quarterbacks in the NFL. One hundred one year history of black quarterbacks in the NFL. Back in 2008, there was a four-part series detailing the history of black quarterbacks. Six years ago, it was updated. That article was updated just as last year. Today, in honor of Black History Month, let's revisit the history of black quarterbacks in the NFL. And while for the last 53 of those seasons, at least one black quarterback was in the NFL, the roles and the treatment of black quarterbacks have varied greatly throughout 
the Super Bowl era. The history of black quarterbacks in professional football is complicated. The New York Giants did not have a black quarterback throw a pass until 2007 when Anthony Wright became the first to do so. Ten years later, Geno Smith became the first and only black quarterback to start a game for the Giants. The last team to finally start a black quarterback started player at black quarterback. But as far back as 1920, Frederick Douglas Fritz Pollard was the tailback of the Akron Pros. A year later, he was promoted to player coach and became first black head coach in NFL history. Pollard helped the pros win the championship in the NFL's inaugural season. The pros ran the single wing, and Pollard was the player lined up behind the center who received the snaps. At the time, the forward pass was practically outlawed, so Pollard barely resembled the modern quarterback outside of the fact that he threw a few touchdown passes during his career. And, of course, it was a time of significant discrimination. Pollard and N. Bobby Marshall were the first two black players in professional football history. As told by Sean Lehman, at least one African-American played in the NFL in every year from 1920-1933. While there were several notable black players, Pollard was the only one resembling a quarterback. Beginning in 1934, there was an informal ban on black athletes largely championed by Washington Redskins owner George Marshall. It wasn't until 1946 that black players were readmitted to the world of professional football when UCLA's Kenny Washington and Woody Strode were signed by the Los Angeles Rams in the AAFC. Bill Willis and Marion Motley were signed by Paul Brown's Cleveland Browns that same season. In general, the rival league was friendlier to black players. After George Talaferro played quarterback in the AAFC in 1949, he became the second black quarterback in NFL history when he joined the New York Yanks in 1950. Talaferro was a jack-of-all-trade in both 1952 and 1953. He accumulated over 200 passing rushing and receiving yards, scored a touchdown via all three methods. But despite making three Pro Bowls, Talaferro never laid, led his team in passing and was more a utility player than a quarterback. Next African-American quarterback in the NFL was unquestionably a Thor, literally. Willie Thor became the third black quarterback in league history in 1953 when he threw eight passes in one game for the Bears and he did not record a rushing attempt or a reception. Two years later, Charlie Choo Choo Brackens was signed by the Green Bay Packers, marking another milestone, while Pollard, Brown, Telefero, Indians, and Thor, Michigan State, came from major schools. Brackens was the first in a small line of quarterbacks from historically black colleges. Brackens, was drafted in 1955 out of Prairie View A&M. He would be the only quarterback drafted from an HBCU for 13 years, but he paved the way for quarterbacks like Doug Williams, Steve McNair, 
Frackens and Thor combined to throw just 10 passes, and the NFL did not enlist another black quarterback from an HBCU or elsewhere for 12 seasons. That's because players like Pete Hall, a quarterback at Marquette, switched to receiver when they made it to the NFL. Another star, Sandy Stevens, led Minnesota to the Rose Bowl and was selected in the first round of the AFL draft and the second round of the NFL draft in 1962. But since both the New York Titans and the Cleveland Browns wanted him to switch positions, like Hall, Stevens instead moved to Canada to play quarterback in the CFL. Others like Prairie View quarterback Jim Kearney switched to safety and made an impact in the NFL. In 1968, the Raiders drafted Tennessee State's Eldridge Dickey in the first round, but used him as a utility player and returner. In the 12th round, another HBCU player, Fisk, QB, Henry Johnson, a classmate of Congressman and civil rights icon John Lewis, was selected by the 49ers. And in the 14th round, Denver drafted Nebraska-Omaha Marlon Briscoe, who became the first black player in the Sugar Bowl era to start at court. Rephrase that, who became the first black player in the Super Bowl era to start at quarterback? Briscoe ranked sixth in the AFL in passing yards, touchdowns, and quarterback rating, while leading the league in yards per completion as a rookie. He had a pretty impressive rookie season, playing for a bad team at a time when there was immense discrimination against black quarterbacks. In the fifth round of the 1966 draft, the Patriots drafted Henry Jackson. The Patriots player personnel director said Jackson could be the Willie Mays of pro football, but was released just months later. And the only explanation provided was that Jackson was behind the other three quarterbacks. But another black quarterback from that draft had much more success. In the eighth round, Grambling's James Harris was drafted by the Bills and was the team's opening day starter. Harris played sparingly in 70 and 71 before being out of football in 1972. But he joined the Rams in 1973. The next season became the first black quarterback to make the Pro Bowl. But there has been at least one black quarterback in the NFL or AFL in every season starting in 1968. In 1972, Joe Gilliam was drafted by the Steelers. Gilliam would play four seasons, with the majority of his work coming in 1974. That season, the year Pittsburgh won its first Super Bowl, Gilliam arguably outplayed Terry Bradshaw in the regular season, but he was unable to rest the job from the former number one overall pick. So, tell you what I am going to do right here. I am going to pause, take a break. As I get ready to go into this break, trust me, I will be back with more on the other side of this break because this is some history that I think we all need to know that has probably been forgotten about. So, stay seated, enjoy the ride. The train is just now building up ahead of steam. Is yours truly, Anthony Smith, A Train Sports Talk Podcast. Be right back. 
Mr. Max Market, formerly known as P&P, is fully stocked for all your grocery needs. We carry the largest selection of hot links in Wichita, including the world-famous Oklahoma links from Mountain View and Rogers, Kansas links from Yoder, Colorado links from Goldstar as well as national brands such as Siegel, and Dietz. Our meat department stocks ribs, pork butts, pork chops, brisket, hams, chicken, hamburger meat, oxtails, buffalo fish, whole catfish and fillets, and much more. In season, we stock hard-to-find produce such as red, yellow, orange, and purple meat watermelon, cantaloupe, melons, tomatoes, corn, greens, okra, and more. We have a huge selection of fish fry, seasonings, sauces, and rubs including the full lines of Louisiana and Slap Ya Mama products. In addition, we have all grocery staples including flour, sugar, bread, butter, cheese, snacks, milk, and goods, candy, snacks, and drinks. I'm Nick. And I'm Adam. And we're cheering from the cheap seats, and you're listening to the A-Train Sports Podcast. Whoop, whoop! Welcome back to my next segment of the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. That's right, you know, this is your favorite conductor. And as I always claim, I don't have no data to back it up or anything like that. The number one sports podcast throughout the state of Kansas. Why is that? Because of you, the listeners. That's right. Those of you who listen make this the number one sports talk podcast throughout the state of Kansas. Don't believe me? I can prove it. People like Matthew Falcon, Oswego, Kansas, football coach, eight-man football coach. Scott Stiles, Xavier McDaniel, Western Sharks, so many more. Kerry Rosenboom, Coach Martin, The Lutz family, Bob and Jeffrey Lutz. It's people like those that make this the number one sports talk podcast throughout the state of Kansas. It's those connections. It's those people who hop on board the train. Then you have your common people, people who doesn't who do not have titles, like my good buddy James Good, uh, Ed Nunez, just to name a few. Can't forget. I call him my nephew, Jordan DeAndre Manning. So that's why I come I always say the number one sports talk podcast throughout the state of Kansas because it is people that come on board that help make this number one. Oh, I cannot forget Vince Quinn, Coach Laura Harper. These are just to name a few people that you don't know them, but these are people that have been on my show that makes this show what it is. Like I said, it's not always about me. It's about those who connect with me. So in that first segment, we mentioned the fact that Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts will be the first black quarterbacks to face each other in the Super Bowl. 
first team you have two teams and the starting quarterbacks are black. But like I say, I was going to talk to you about those the history of the black quarterback in the NFL and those who have paved the way to where we're at today. So, we continue to move on with this next segment. As we see, there is a young man by the name of J.J. Jones, New York Jets, Dave Mays, Cleveland, John Walton, Philadelphia, Parnell Dickerson, Tampa Bay, and Vince Evans, Chicago, all entered the NFL in the mid to late 70s, serving as a bridge until the next breakthrough. By the end of the 1977 season, no black quarterback had been selected before the sixth round of the draft. That changed when Tampa Bay Buccaneers selected Doug Williams with the 17th pick in the first round of the 1978 draft. After Williams, no black QBs entered the league for five years. During the 1983 season, Evans was the only black quarterback in the NFL. Williams was in the USFL at the time. Evans joined Williams in the USFL after the season. The league was a bit friendlier to black quarterbacks than the NFL, perhaps out of necessity. That would have left the NFL without any black quarterbacks, but in 1984, the landscape what a black quarterback could do in the NFL changed forever. War Moon joined the Canadian Football League in 1978 and promptly led his Edmonton Eskimos to the Great Cup title in each of his first five seasons. In 1983, he set single-season passing records and won the Most Outstanding Player Award. That prompted the Houston Oilers to sign the future nine-time Pro Bowler and NFL Hall of Famer. Moon still ranks in the top five in NFL history in passing yards gained in a player's age 28 season and beyond. He remains underrated to this day. Randall Cunningham was drafted in 1985 and will become a star using a different style. Cunningham is the most decorated quarterback to be passed over by the Hall of Fame. He won the Burt Bell Award as the league's best player in 1988, 1990, and 1998. In 1990, the Pro Football Writers Association also named him their MVP, and in 1998, he received the Jim Thorpe Trophy as the league's best player from the Newspaper Enterprise Association panel. Each season, Cunningham was the runner-up in the AP MVP voting to Terrell Davis in 1998, 25 votes to 14, Joe Montana in 1990, 26 votes to 18, and Boomer Sison in 1988, 31 votes to 21. Cunningham's historic 1990 season saw him throw 30 touchdown passes and rushed for 942 yards. Until 2015, no other player with 30 passing touchdowns in a single season had rushed for even 500 yards. 
After Reggie Collier was drafted by the Cowboys in 1986, a string of black QBs entered the NFL during the year of replacement players in 1987. Mark Stevens, Walter Briggs, Larry Miller, Willie Gillis, Bernard Quarles, Tony Robinson, and Willie Totten. Two years later, Rodney Pete was drafted by the Lions. In the following year, the Lions drafted Andre Ware with the seventh overall pick in the draft. Since 1990, there have been at least five black quarterbacks in the NFL every season. In 1995, Steve McNair, out of another HBCU, Alcorn State, became the third overall draft pick and would appear in a Super Bowl four years later. Then, in 2000, the next milestone was hit. Michael Vick became the first black quarterback selected with the first pick. In 2006, Vince Young became the first black quarterback to win Rookie of the Year, paving the way for Cam Newton and Robert Griffin III to win the award. After Vick, Jamarcus Russell, Let me say that name once again, because it might be the last time you ever hear this name again. After Vic, Jamarcus Russell. <laughs> 2007, Cam Newton, 2011, Jameis Winston, 2015, and Kyler Murray, 2019, have been selected first overall as well. But the surprising success of Lamar Jackson signals that there still are hurdles, even for exemplary black quarterbacks. The ability of the 2019 MVP to play quarterback in the NFL was openly questioned. And despite a great resume, he fell to the 32nd pick of the 2018 draft. There have been many great black quarterbacks over the past 25 years, but even the success of players like Donovan McNabb and Steve McNair at times felt isolated. But that has changed in recent years. The 2019 season was the most outstanding year for black quarterbacks in pro football history. Jackson was the NFL's MVP. Patrick Mahomes, a year after winning his own league MVP, led the Chiefs on a superlative postseason run that ended with Mahomes capturing the Super Bowl MVP award and leading Kansas City to his first title in 50 years. Murray won the AP Offensive Rookie of the Year award, and Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, and Deshaun Watson all had excellent seasons, with each playing like an MVP candidate for stretches of the regular season. Winston led the NFL in passing yards. Teddy Bridgewater went 5 0 as the Saints interim quarterback in the middle of the season and earned a starting job in 2020 in Carolina off of that performance. Only four quarterbacks threw 30-plus touchdown passes in 2019, and all four were African-Americans. And in 2020, Mahomes and Watson finished as two of the top three most efficient passers in the league. While the quantity continues to grow, at one point, a record 10 starting quarterbacks were black for the first time in pro history. That sort of success surely put a smile on the face of the Thors and Talaferros who helped build the legacy of black quarterbacks in pro football. So there you have the history of the black quarterback 
in the NFL and those who have paved the way for what we have today, which will culminate in Super Bowl 57 when Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts square off against each other. Hope you are enjoying the ride thus far. Stay tuned because there is so much more to come. You're listening to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast with your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. As I always say when I get ready to go to a break, don't you dare go nowhere because it's still building up ahead of steam. Be right back. Yours truly, Anthony Smith on the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. This is Tracy, host of the Moonstar Podcast, and you are listening to A-Train. Buckle up, baby, and enjoy the ride. Woo! Welcome, 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 welcome back to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. I hope you are enjoying the ride. The history of the black quarterback in the NFL doesn't get any better than this. I also want to send a shout out to my girls out there in Vegas. They have their podcast, Girl Chat Sports. I'm still trying to get them on my show, and you know what? It's going to happen. You know why Carmen is going to happen? Because they've given me their word. Everything is all about timing. It's all about that timing. So, Girl Chat Sports, I hope you're listening because we are going to get y'all on here. Mel and Mo. Those girls know they sports. Matter of fact, I think the slogan goes something like this. We ain't got the balls, but we know our sports. Can't come up with a better slogan than that. And trust me, when I tell you they know their sports, if you don't listen to them, it might be the difference between you making it into heaven or not. Just saying. Yeah, their shows are good. They they their podcast is on on point, and they do it on a weekly basis, and they do it in such a way that they keep you on the edge of your seat to where you can't wait to hear the next show, because the last show is that good, and you're on the edge of your seat waiting for the next show. So Mel and Mo, we're gonna get you on here. We're gonna get you on here. Anyway. Hope you have enjoyed the first couple of segments thus far. Because now is when things might get a little bit dicey. There is something going on at a particular HBCU school. And 
I'm beginning to wonder, when's the fallout going to ever come to an end? All I have to do is say one name, Ed Reed. And this situation at Bethune-Cookman seems to get very, very ugly. Anyway, the fallout from administrators at Bethune-Cookman University choosing not to ratify the contract of college and pro football Hall of Famer Ed Reed for the head coaching position of his football program has resulted in petitions and in the case of a group of students and on-campus protests. Students gathered on campus grounds on Monday, January 23rd to demand the removal of the Board of Trustees over the adequacies of several buildings on campus containing mold and the failed hire of Reed. According to Fox 35, students complained of rats in some dormitories and no hot water. Students have resorted to leaving windows up year-round in some spaces because there is no working air conditioning. And What you heard right there were a group of students protesting on campus. Reed revealed on Saturday, January 21st, he would not be appointed head coach at Bethune more than 25 days after he was named to the position. In a statement, the school stated why they and Reed couldn't agree on his contract. After undergoing undergoing a detailed assessment and review of the state of our football program, We have determined that it is in the best interest of our university, athletics program, and football student-athletes to reopen the search and identify the next leader of Bethune-Cookman Wildcats football, statement reads. While we appreciate the initial interest in our football program displayed by Mr. Reed during the course of recent weeks, we are also mindful of the qualities and attributes that must be exhibited by our institutional personnel during what have been uniquely challenging times for our campus as we recover from the impact of two hurricanes during this past fall semester. The 25-day saga. The decision on Reed's future came after a series of expletive-filled videos decrying the conditions at Bethune-Cookman, including his office not being clean. The period of Reed being named in principal as Bethune's head coach came with online fanfare and an announcement from the school, but no proper introductory news conference. In a January 15th Instagram live video, Reed agreed with former Jackson State head coach Deion Sanders about HBCU's 
and their numerous issues. Prime Sanders was not wrong about what he was saying, Reed said. All HBCUs need help because of the people who's running it. Broken mentalities out here. In another Instagram post, Reed captioned it by saying the university was forcing him out and he wasn't withdrawing his name to coach the players. I am not withdrawing my name as the head coach at Bethune-Cookman, he wrote. The administration and the AD are forcing me out. Thank you to all that supported me and my staff through this process. Good day. and God bless. Students in the on-campus protest are hoping their demands for better conditions be met. Last October, the school was closed due to damage from Hurricane Ian and is said to be still reeling from the storm's effects. So, was Ed Reed right in how he addressed the situation? Was there anything wrong with him piggybacking on what Deion Sanders had to say about HBCUs? Keep in mind, Deion Sanders, during his short time at Jackson State, boosted the morale in the football program because of his connections, his outside connections, which helped improve the the facility. I'm pretty sure there were some station renovations, some stadium renovations. And then we also understand in another report that there were some investors on board ready to make donations to help improve the facilities at Bethune-Cookman. Those are now off the table because there is no Ed Reed. So who do you blame in this situation? Do you blame the school? Do you blame Ed Reed? Does blame have to be shared? Because now as the story goes, Shannon Sharp also has something to say in regards to how he thought Ed Reed could have addressed the situation. Well, one of the worst things you can do, I'm told, is when a person is still kind of upset, Now is not the time to talk to them because even though your intent may be good, at the time, there's a time and a season to everything. And sometimes it's not that time, okay? So now I am going to get into Ed Reed, Shannon. Because, yes, they had some words. Of course, you know, Shannon Sharp, even prior to that, was seen in an altercation at a basketball game. So he's had his share of getting into it with people. But Let's just look at this briefly, and we're going to bring 
this train into the station. So Ed Reed exposes DMs, which is direct messages with Shannon Sharp in wake of the Bethune Cookman controversy. Ed Reed has called out Shannon Sharp on Instagram. Reed announced earlier this week that he would not be hired as new head coach of Bethune Cookman. HBCU had previously announced that the two sides had agreed in principle on a deal. However, the deal fell through after Reed blasted the school over the state of conditions on campus. On FS1's Undisputed, Sharp said that he considered Reed to be the greatest NFL safety of all time, but chided him for the Bethune-Cookman situation. He said a lot of HBCUs are underfunded. I don't know what Ed thought. That ain't for you, Miami, Ed Sharp said. That's not a power fire, bro. They don't have donors that give back $30, $40 million. Ed Reed calls out Shannon Sharp after his segment on Undisputed. He said, put the Hennessy down and come holler at me because you got your story wrong. Unfiltered Media TV, November 26, 2023. Sharp played at the HBC, Sharp played at the HBCU Savannah State. Later in the segment, Sharp said, what is Ed thinking? Most HBCUs are like this. I get Ed's passion in asking to clean the offices, but I wish he had gone to admin. I wish he hadn't gone public with it. Put it on IG, live. Just go to admin and say, guys, this is unacceptable. I shouldn't have to have my players picking up trash. So whereas Ed Reed was being blunt, Shannon Sharp was saying he should have been a little bit more diplomatic about it. Shannon Sharp was basically saying, there's a way you do that. But at the same time, Sharp, Shannon Sharp, I agree with some things you say. I agree how you put Skip Bayless in check because oftentimes Skip Bayless need to be put in check. But right now, this ain't about putting Skip Bayless in check. This is about how you go to your brother, one who was basically forced out from a school because of the, he didn't like the conditions. Ed Reed is a compassionate guy. He is a passionate guy, shall I say. And he wanted the best situations. Matter of fact, can I tell you what that was like? Anybody ever remember Coach Billy Baker? Yeah, if you've seen the series All-American, Billy Baker goes from coaching at Beverly Hills going back to where he played at, which was at Crenshaw. New principal came in that had beef with him. Now the players basically have to pay their way to play. Oh, in addition, they have to clean up the field, have to mow the lawn. Talk about what's on the silver screen coming to real life. No, I do not think that they should have had to. He has, should have had to get his players to uh, clean the office, clean the field, you know, clean the facility. That's not their job. Then, like I said earlier, to make matters worse, there were some investors on board as long as Ed Reed was the coach. But Bethune-Cookman, I have to say, this is a situation where you drop ball 
Yes, I also believe Shannon Sharp. There's maybe some truth to it. Maybe Ed Reed could have kind of backed down and went to them in a different way. And yes, we also still understand that HBCUs are underfunded. Like Shannon said, they don't have donors coming back to them throwing $30 and $40 million at them. But what I am going to say, not knowing if any professional athlete will hear this, unless you are willing to put up the funds, don't speak HBCU out your mouth. You may support them verbally, or are you supporting them financially? Because that's where it's needed at the most. I'm waiting for that next wave of young crop players that are coming out of HBCUs that may get drafted into the NFL. Because out of that group, there will have to be at least one leader that says, you know what? I'm going to give back. And all it takes is one to pioneer. It's just up to those institutions to make sure that when one does come back, give back, make sure it goes in the right place. Hopefully, when it's all said and done, Ed Reed and Shannon Sharp can sit down like grown men, hash out what their differences is, and we can see the other side of it. We see this side, but we want to see the other side. We want to see two grown men sit down, shake hands, and squash it. And hopefully, as far as these HBCU schools, if they just look at the blueprint that Dion left behind, he didn't stay all day, but he stayed long enough to provide a blueprint. Well, this is a Train Sports Talk podcast. Hope you have enjoyed today's podcast. Just as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. Hope you have enjoyed the ride. Hope you have enjoyed the history. Want to send a shout out to Alicia Broomfield at Mr. MC's Market. Go by and check them out. They got those Oklahoma hot links, cold and filleted catfish. And when the season rolls around, get your red meat, yellow meat, purple meat, watermelon. I know some of y'all saying, what? Purple meat? Yes, they have it at Mr. MC's Market. So go by there, located in Wichita, Kansas, and tell them that A-Train, Anthony Smith, sent you there. Once again, special shout out to all names I've mentioned in this podcast, because like I said, without you all, you know me. So continue to enjoy the ride wherever this train may take you, because I will be picking up passengers and I will be expanding this show in the weeks and the months to come. So until next time, take care of yourself and each other. Be blessed. I'm out of here.